China has emerged as one of the 21st century's most consequential nations, making it more important than ever to understand how the country is governed. Welcome to Pekingology, the podcast that unpacks China's evolving political system. I'm Jude Blanchett, the Freeman Chair in China Studies at CSIS, and this week I'm joined by Lin Jia, a political scientist who just finished her PhD at the University of Georgia. Today we'll be discussing her recent article, Loyalty and Competence, the Political Selection of Local Cadres in China, which was recently published in the China Quarterly. Lina, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jude. It's my pleasure and honor to be here. So as a first question, I wonder if you could give listeners a little bit of background information about you. Where are you from? How did you get to the University of Georgia? And why did you decide to study Chinese politics? So I'm from uh, Inner Mongolia originally. I was born there. It's a northern province in China. And my family moved to Beijing when I was seven. And I did my undergraduate in Beijing and I did my uh, graduate degree uh, in Peking University before I came to the U.S. did another graduate degree in uh, political science and then I went to University of Georgia. And it's a... Uh, Long ways, but I'm glad I'm here right now. And tell me about how did you get into the study of China's political system? What was the initial motivation? What are the puzzles that keep you interested? Sure. I'm always interested in knowing the details of how our political system works, especially where I am from, China. And before I came to the U.S., a lot of questions seem like no surprising because I live in the environment. But After I came to the U.S., it gave me actually a fresh perspective to rethink about what we experience in China and Chinese political system, because from a comparative perspective, we can see much more new things. And specifically, how do I came to study the subject I'm studying right now is it was based on my dissertation project. And it was started from an initial discussion with my advisor, Rong Binghan, who was also invited to this podcast. We were discussing about my dissertation research. I told him about my ground-level observation of groups of middle-aged, non-college students-looking people taking courses and seminars on university campuses. And he encouraged me to dig deeper into this observation. So during the field work, I found out that the participants of these training programs are actually local cadres at or below the county level. And then I found more interesting things, and that led to this research project eventually. You mentioned the new things you learned studying China's political system since coming to the United States. I'm curious, though, is there anything that we in America think we know about China's political system that you find we don't actually know. I'm curious, you know, as, as someone who grew up in the political system in China, are, are there any kind of big misconceptions that you've noticed since being in the United States? Or are there too many to mention in a short podcast? There's surely a lot of things, but the biggest one, you know, upon my reflection is the simplification of Chinese system as a absolute hierarchy. I mean, it is a hierarchy, but I think the the tension and the interaction between the central government and local governments in China is, the, I think, most important and less appreciated point in the U.S. or outside of China in general. So people assume that when the president of China or the, the secretary of the Communist Party 
give an order and everyone has to absolutely follow it. But in reality, you know, at local level, there are lots of variations of how exactly to implement policy, how exactly to cater to local needs and characteristics. And I think such aspect is not exactly appreciated in at least the mainstream media in the West. In academia, it's, of course, it's better, but still. <laughs> so the, the sky is high, the emperor is far away? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to talk about your paper, which I just thought was really, really interesting and actually gets into some of the dynamics of central local uh, relations and how the Communist Party as an apparatus tries to govern China, but also how it tries to cultivate talent, how it tries to move cadres up and what some of the on the ground realities are. But I wonder if I can first ask you if you can just describe the state of the academic field on this idea of promotion. You know, many of us, if we're just reading the newspaper, may have an understanding that, well, the way you get promoted, or at least traditionally, you know, until more recently, was simply by facilitating economic growth in whatever the jurisdiction you were working in is. So if you did nothing else but just help boost, you know, growth at the local level in whatever township or city you were, that was the ticket to upward movement. You know, others have said, well, no, it's about who you know. It's about your factional network or about a patronage network. Just at a, at a broad level, what does the current academic debate look like? Before your paper came out, you know, what did we think we knew about how promotion works? Of course. So, as the first part of my paper uh, summarized or reviewed, actually the literature on promotion have provided rather conflictual or, you know, not exactly congruent evidence on promotion, the mechanism of promotion, at, especially at different administrative level in China. We all know that Ch Chinese system is featured by a hierarchy with the system. And for example, at the state level, uh, the research on promotion basically show that factional and patron-client ties with the state leaders tend to outweigh economic growth performance in determining elite cadre's promotion chances. But findings at the provincial level are mixed. Some studies show that good economic performance, like you said, increases provincial leaders' likelihood of promotion. But there are other studies indicate that factional ties overshadow performance-based criteria, which means it matters who you know in, in addition or instead of the economic performance of local leader. And some studies, especially the relatively recent ones, argue that provincial cadres need both patronage ties or connection and good performance to achieve promotion. So it's a tough job. And research at the prefectural and county level also reveals a pretty complex picture you know, sometimes economic performance works for promotion. Sometimes connection with uh, higher level officials matters for promotion at this level. So again, most of the previous research have provided a less clear picture of exactly which mechanism works all the time for promotion. But some more recent research in the past few years, scholars have tried to consider all the elements based on the best data they can gather, and then find out that 
uh, Chinese system might have a different logic for different levels of promotion. For example, at higher levels, loyalty or patronage ties seems to matter more for chances of promotion. And as the administration level goes lower, at the local level, performance seems to matter more, which is uh, relevant to the performance legitimacy argument in the Chinese context. So generally, I think the literature is starting to reach a consensus about the more focus on loyalty for elite cadres and the relatively certain focus of performance or competence at the local level. Can I ask a question? And we may not know the answer to this. Let's say I, Jude Blanchett, am installed as a cadre at, you know, at the township level or a municipality. How do you think I would understand how I'm being evaluated, especially if it's has components or is, it's a composite of, you know, formal metrics, which of course the party would provide to me. But you've also mentioned some intangible aspects that could help me, especially as I become more senior, like patronage networks. Do you think it's just a an oral tradition? Basically, it's socialized into the party informal discourse that I just kind of know the chenguedza, you know, the kind of rules of the road. How do you think a cadre understands how they are evaluated in the non-formal inputs? Sure. So many China scholars have studied the official metrics of promotion, right? They're, like you said, they're a point system which is more institutionalized and even for outsiders, maybe eventually, although some of the records are, of course, internal, but there are uh, criteria that are clearly qualitative and open and institutionalized so we can see the more official uh, route or contributing factors of local promotion. But when it comes to some less institutionalized aspects, such as personal connection with your supervisor, or some other type of connection we cannot exactly easily measure, I think it creates a lot of difficulties for political scientists focusing on China to account for such aspects. So at higher levels, of course, it's relatively easier to find proxies for such type of connection. For, for example, the most strictest uh, measure of patronage ties or political connection developed by political scientists, including the direct promotion relationship between cadre A and a supervisor cadre B, right? So if person A is promoted under the tenureship of cadre B, while B is the higher level leader, then it is relatively uh, regarded certain that there is a political connection between them. But at lower level, especially lower than county level, because of the numbers of cadres and the almost unaccountable or a very complicated relationship in local political arena, it's very hard for us to find a proxy to measure such connections. Another just kind of question I wanted to ask before we, we get into this is, we're going to be discussing party schools uh, as we discuss your, your paper. And a party school in the American context means the University of Miami. But a party school in China means something different. Can you explain what party schools are? Give a sense of 
the scale of this system of party schools, and what are these designed to do? So first, I'm not the first one studying this, of course, and there are previous studies. There are books by, for example, Frank Peek, Charlotte Lee, and they both, both have written a book about such topic. And David Shambaugh also wrote a few papers about party schools. So party school training is one of the most important parts of the Chinese cultural training system, which include different types of training agencies, such as the party school system, academies of governance, leadership academies, socialism academies, and academic institutions that regularly conduct collaborative training with government branches and party organization departments. The history of party school training can be traced back to the founding years of the CCP, so way before the establishment of the PRC. In any case, existing studies indicate that party schools are crucial for cultivating cadre's loyalty and strengthening the regime's influence over its agents. The party school network, which is the core apparatus for cadre training in China, is regarded by scholars of Chinese politics as one of the most important but under-researched and least well-understood institutional designs of the CCP regime. For example, David Shemba defines the party school apparatus as an important institutional agent for conveying ideology and policy reform to cadres. Other studies also indicate that the main mission of party school training remains Leninist unification of thought. So as shown in Table 1 of my paper, most of the content in a typical party school training program focuses on ideological and CCP political theory education. This accords with the recent stipulation that theoretical education and party character education must account for no less than 70% of course hours. Party school training, therefore, serves as a reliable indicator of cadre's loyalty to the regime. And in addition to the listed courses, cadre training programs in party schools include various mechanisms to cultivate loyalty and monitor cadre's learning progress. For example, other than recorded course attendance, there are group discussions on experience of exemplary political leaders and cadres, and there are team-building exercises at sites of revolutionary importance in party history, for example, the Jinggangsheng Mountains Revolutionary Base. Also, at the end of training sessions, it's common for cadre trainings to be required to write an essay, typically around 3,000 words, about how the training helped them to develop a collective identity. So in general, party school training really is a very important aspect of the CCP institution. So now is probably a good time to bring these two topics together, and maybe you could just lay out the main argument of your paper, which looks at the role of party schools in promotion prospects and, and promotion results for local level cadres. So can you just briefly summarize what the paper's main argument is? So the paper's main argument is at the local level, especially at the township level, both loyalty represented by party school training and competence represented here by university training or training in academic institutions. Both of these features are crucial for township cadres promotion at the local level. So my paper explored the causal relationship between loyalty, competence, and promotion, and using a original data set on local cadre training records, I find that both loyalty and competence matters at 
the township level. So township cadres who got both training experience from party school and universities have the highest possibility of promotion from township level to, to county level. What is the difference between local cadres and cadres higher up? Why did this paper focus on local cadres below the county level? Because this level of cadres is one of the most important foundation of the CCP governance, right? Um, they are referred to as the frontline soldier of the CCP. They're in charge of interacting with uh, grassroots citizens, implementing policies, directives from upper level. So higher level cadres in China, as the administrative level goes higher, uh, they're more responsible for policy making. But at the grassroots level, for example, at township level, cadres are more likely to be responsible for policy implementation, which include implementing many not so uh, welcomed policies, such as family plan policy, political education, things like that, or conflict management. For example, in my paper, uh, I cited a number, which is for uh, resolving local labor disputes. Actually, township cadres resolve the most percentage of labor dispute compared to village cadres, which is lower, and county-level cadres, which is higher. So this level of cadres, although lack quantitative research, they are really fundamental for the CCP's governance at the grassroots level. Can you unpack a little bit? When you say loyalty, what do you mean by that? Loyalty to the party, loyalty to you know their immediate boss, loyalty to their patron? What, what do we mean when we say that? Yeah, so this is a very interesting question because there is a subtle distinction between, for example, redness and loyalty, right? And existing literature on promotion tends to operationalize loyalty as personal patronage ties and factional connections. Um, this study points to Cadre's loyalty to the party institution and the regime. That speaks more to the redness as a desirable characteristic. So measurement of patronage ties or factional connections normally traces Cadre's shared birth regions and overlapping education and work experience. For example, if Cadre A have worked in the same department as a provincial leader, normally we would consider there is a political connection or there's loyalty relationship between these two. And more recent literature utilizes some more strict measures of patronage ties as a proxy for loyalty, such as the connection between cadre A, who is promoted during the tenure of higher-level cadre B within the same jurisdiction. Current literature, however, does not have a well-established measurement of redness or loyalty to the party organization or to the institution that goes beyond personal patronage ties. So in my paper, I use party school training experience as the closest measurement to measure this kind of relationship between individual cadres and the regime. I can imagine if it becomes implicitly known amongst local level cadres that time spent in the party school is a, is a helpful experience for promotion, that I could go through the motions 
and and attend the party school, but but be no not be fundamentally loyal to the party. How do we know that some of these proxies, you know, such as time in the party school, is genuinely boosting regime resiliency rather than just, you know, party members cynically understanding or local officials cynically understanding that it's a check the box exercise that that helps aid promotion. I think this is a great question. I think fundamentally, there's rarely any way we can make sure that party school education or party school training really works to boost loyalty. The way I think this is, at the minimum, party school training can serve as a signal from the regime to lower level cadres or individual cadres, no matter whether they believe it or not for real from the bottom of their heart. Uh, it serves as a signaling mechanism to show the absolute power and the uh, ideological dominance of the party institution. I think the outside um, appearance of whether a cadre is acting all out of loyalty or out of, for example, fear or obedience or some other emotion uh, or logic to implement policy is almost impossible to measure, right? But the result might seem the same, even if the motivation of cadres might be different. So yeah, this is the best proxy I can find. I'm, I'm really happy to know if there's other... I mean, we can, down, we can do surveys, but again, surveying this case is, is extremely difficult. These are all very sophisticated cadres. It's a nature for them to speak in the line. To follow the line. I would imagine that's also something that worries the party as well is it's hard to distinguish if someone is genuinely loyal or is just, you know, is just going through the motions. So I'm sure this is what occupies a lot of the time of Zhong Jiwei and other entities which are, you know, responsible for political discipline is, you know, Xi Jinping talks about this a lot of cadres who just go through the motions, but don't truly believe. But as you say, the problem is, how could you genuinely measure if a cadre truly believes the mission or is just, you know, cynically understands what they have to do to rise through the ranks? One of the really fascinating things that you did in this paper, which made me think about it in a way I hadn't before, is I had always put the kind of red and expert at opposite ends or in tension with each other. Right. Like you were you were either a party hack who was incompetent, but politically connected, or you were technocratically sophisticated, but likely not as politically, ideologically sort of oriented. Is that the right way to think about it? It sounds like some of what you're finding is that loyal and expert or red and expert, they might actually be able to coexist to some extent. Is, is that a right way to think about it? Yes, and since my paper focused at the grassroots level, which is the promotion exactly from township level to county level, so it provides evidence that at this level, both loyalty and competence seem to matter for cadre evaluation process. Of course, at higher level, at, like you said, uh, and supported by other research, loyalty or patronage ties might matter as the uh, political elite climbs up the administrative ladder. But at lower level, my paper provides evidence that 
you can't have only one characteristic or only one trait to be considered as a uh, possible candidate for promotion. Another interesting finding in the paper, and if I can quote from later on in the paper, that you write, quote, CCP membership is not a statistically significant predictor for promotion at the local level, which I thought was really interesting. Of course, just, you know, for listeners, most listeners probably know, but just in case they don't, not every cadre government official in China is a Communist Party member. So you have a mixture, you know, the higher up you go, you you have to be a party member. But if you're at the local level, you could be working, you could be an official and, and not have formal party membership. I would have assumed that having CCP membership was like some of these other metrics would, would be an important necessary component of promotion, but your paper finds that it's not statistically significant for promotion at the local level. Why do you think that is? Was that surprising to you? It was a little surprising to me because I shared your assumption that CCP membership matters at all levels of promotion in China. Actually, in my data set, 18.65% of cadres are non-CCP members. But like you said, the findings show that CCP membership is not a statistically significant predictor for promotion at the township level. So the result basically implies that non-CCP members are at least equally likely to be promoted locally than CCP members. I think the implication here is that... CCP membership matters more in elite cadre promotion than in grassroots level cadre promotions. In tying this all together, I wanted to, and maybe we can we circle back to one of your early comments about how misunderstood it is in the United States, just how variegated China's political system is. I think most of us here in the United States, especially we're recording this in the middle of the 20th Party Congress. I think a lot of us have this mental map of China's political system as rigidly hierarchical, Leninist, and under Xi Jinping, you know, much more oriented towards what Xi Jinping thinks and wants. But I, when reading your paper, I was just reminded again of just how, how complicated China's political system is. I wonder what are the kind of big picture takeaways or, or implications that you see the paper having? you know, for questions of regime resiliency, but also I think for questions of competence, it is, to some extent, I find it, it's a good thing to hear that party membership at a local level is not statistically significant because it might show that actually they're making decisions on promotion, again, at that local level with an eye to how competent you are as, as an official. But I'm curious, what are you, after you've done all this research, and publish the paper, what are the kind of bigger implications you see from your work in our understanding of, of China's political system? Thank you. That's a good question. I think the implication of res this research to the bigger picture of Chinese politics is that, like you said, it is a very complicated and complex system. And the as a hierarchical system, the policies and orders from the central government needs to be implemented at a local level, but this is not an easy process. I also have this observation that a lot of times the policy from the top level are ra rather vague. There are a lot of room of 
localization or flexible implementation at local level. Therefore, it puts a lot of power or a lot of wiggle room at the hands of the local cadres to exactly how to implement certain policies. And my paper showed that, for example, when there is a big policy reform happening in China, local cadres are so desperate to learn how should they implement the policy without violating the possible intention of the uh, central line from the central government. So I think the implication of this research is to appreciate the complexity of the Chinese political system and to realize that at local level, local cadres have a very big responsibility of maintaining local stability and promoting local economic growth, things like that. And the CTP actually is valuing the coherence or the loyalty of local cadres in implementing the CCP policy. It's not like loyalty only matters at the higher level, or it's not like only competence matters. So at the local level, local cadres need to boast economic growth, governance, local citizens in various aspects, and maintain a adherence to party policies. So it's really a tough job. And during my class, my students often comment, it's so hard to be a local cadre in China. I don't understand why do they prefer to do this job. Just as a final comment, I don't know why the party does not give more exposure to its local officials and putting them in front of the media. Because when you, any engagement I've had with a local party official, they are the hardest working people that I've ever met. You know, they got their short sleeve dress shirt, their black pants, and they're running around a local town solving plumbing issues, agriculture issues, social stability, employment, tourism. It's really remarkable when you see these people in action. I've always thought it's a shame that, that they don't do more to highlight kind of lower level officials. I absolutely agree. And during my field work, I observed the same thing as you did. Linan, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate your work. And just again, the, the paper is Loyalty and Competence, the Political Section of Local Cadres in China, available in, I think, the most recent edition of China Quarterly. And hopefully it's ungated on the China Quarterly website. So for those of you who don't want to spend $10,000 subscribing to the China Quarterly, you can read this really, really great piece of research for free. And I should say that we really only scratch the surface. There's lots of data visualizations and um, really interesting micro findings for people who want to understand more the incentive structure for cadres operating at the subnational level. So this is a really, really great paper. Thanks for your time and look forward to future research. If you enjoy this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts. From Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org podcasts to see our full catalog 